the most exuberant of the ancient European visual artists, whose genius is still valued and copied today. Their masterpieces in metalwork, monumental stone carvings, glassware and jewellery still provoke countless well-attended exhibitions throughout the world. Their philosophers and men of learning were highly regarded by the Greeks, Many of the Greek Alexandrian school accepted that early Greeks had borrowed from the Celtic philosophers. Even some Romans, who could never forgive the Celts for initially defeating them and occupying Rome, begrudgingly acknowledged their learning. Their advanced calendrical computations, their astronomy, and speculation from the stars also impressed the classical world. The early Celts were prohibited by their religious precepts from committing their learning to written form in their own language. In spite of this, there remain some five hundred textual inscriptions of varying lengths in Celtic languages, dating from between the 5th and 1st centuries BC. The Celts used the alphabets of the Etruscans, Greeks, Phoenicians, and Romans to make these records. Moreover, Many Celts adopted Greek and Latin as languages in which to achieve literary fame. Sicilius Statius, for example, the chief Roman comic dramatist of the second century BC, was an insubrian Celtic warrior, taken prisoner and brought to Rome as a slave. The Celts produced historians, poets, playwrights, and philosophers, all writing in Latin. It was not until the Christian period that the Celts felt free enough to write extensively in their own languages, and then left an amazing literary wealth, with Irish taking its place as the third literary language of Europe after Greek and Latin. Irish, according to Professor Calvert Watkins of Harvard, contains the oldest vernacular literature of Europe, for, he points out, those writing in Latin and Greek were usually writing in a language which was not a lingua materna, a mother tongue, but a lingua franca, a common means of communication. Thanks to the texts written by the Celts of Ireland and Wales in particular, we know the vibrant wealth of Celtic myth and legend, the stories of the ancient gods and goddesses. By comparing these texts to the commentaries of the classical writers, we can even discover something of early Celtic philosophy. It is humbling to know that this civilization, with at least three thousand years of cultural continuum, has not yet perished from Europe. There are still some two and a half millions who speak a Celtic language as a mother tongue. The Celtic peoples survive in the northwest of Europe, confined now to the Irish, Manx, and Scots, Goidelic Celts, and the Welsh, Cornish, and Bretons, Brythonic Celts. It is, however, the early Celtic world that this book is concerned with, the period before the birth of Christ. In the following pages, the story of the origins and ancient history of one of the greatest ancient peoples of Europe is revealed. With the use of fresh materials which have been recently uncovered, a new examination and understanding of a civilization which has touched most of Europe and, indeed, parts of the Middle East and North Africa is presented. This is a thematic survey of the visual wealth left to us by the Celts, as well as an introduction to their colourful early history and fascinating culture. Within a few months of the first publication of this book, something of a mini-storm broke out, 
in which I, as the author, was involved. A group of archaeologists claimed that the ancient Celts did not exist. The claim was dumbfounding to the world of Celtic scholarship. It had the same impact as if someone entered a university classics department and declared that the ancient Greeks had never existed. The general public became aware of the furore when archaeologist Dr. Simon James published The Atlantic Celts, Ancient People or Modern Invention, 1999. He argued that there was no evidence of Celtic peoples in Britain or Ireland during the Iron Age, and that the idea of an insular Celtic identity was but a product of the rise of nationalism in the 18th century. Dr. James, however, was not the first to propound this view. It was a time when, significantly, political devolution to Wales and Scotland was high on the government's agenda.